And all right, uh, this is the very first episode of the Psychedelic Athlete Podcast. Um, for those of you who know me, you probably know that I've had podcasts before. Um, I was involved in Color Me Bloody, which eventually led me into uh, getting involved in jujitsu and MMA. Um, I was a part for a little while of one called Dizzy Street Talk. I uh, was uh, doing Lost in the Deep End, and I was a co-host for Kinda Libertarian uh, most recently with my good friend Jeff Siegel, who will probably be on the podcast. But every time I've done these podcasts, people have asked me, why don't you just do your own sort of whatever you interviewing people, not relying on a co-host, um, guests, friends, and, and just make it kind of, you know, I already do enough things that are uh, likened to Joe Rogan. I might as well just go all in and bring some of my friends into the fold while uh, getting guests. And it's an honor to have my first guest who is on the line with me, James Fuller of Strongman Archaeology, because when I decided to do this podcast, I thought, um, you know, I really want to make guests quality over quantity, because when you're doing podcasts, you think to yourself, anybody with a little bit of fan base is probably worth having on. And when I was doing, uh, you know, Lost in the Deep End, I'd get some people hit up. Hey, man, if you ever want to talk to me, blah, blah, blah. I've got a group of friends. I'll gladly promote it. And the wheels start turning the 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 outreach things like, well, Hey, this guy's got some, some following some clout, but I want to get people that I know will make good episodes that I will be able to connect with. Um, somebody that I really enjoy and want to have a conversation with. And if it just so happens that people tune in, they tune in and it, it, I've been thinking about doing this podcast for a few months now and I've been talking to James lately. I'll go ahead and introduce James and then we can get him, uh, you know, taking control of some, some talkage. Uh, essentially, I discovered James because I had several friends sharing his videos. And then immediately I was like, I got to follow this guy. I brought him up to uh, my boss at work, despite being a landscaper, also as a strength coach. Um, has his own gym and he knew James, he loved this stuff. And I just started going into these videos and I'm like, man, you know, I'm not so sure I've ever seen anything like this. Uh, it's not, I've seen people, we discussed how uh, we had mutual people that we knew. Um, I ran across these guys, the swords brothers, uh, who compete in strongman and do what I would say is almost like jackass variations of lifting to a degree where it's like evil Knievel. There's, there's almost like a stuntman esque side of it and a Marvel, like a circus act sort of thing. But I recognize that is not what, what James was doing. He is doing these in a much different, I mean, this is, this is, health conscious lifting. This is very much practical strength minded lifting. It takes a lot of understanding of, of lifting and, and the mechanics. It was just so much. It involved insane range of motion. There was a history behind the lifts. They had these names of inspiration that dated back, you know, late 1800s. And I just went down the rabbit hole. And 
What wound up happening was I made a video after my friends were showing me these things about these movement strength coach people who don't really believe in, in, in strength lifts. And they talk about how, you know, cleans are a backwards moving movement and you don't want to do this and all of these bad movements you instill into the body, blah, blah, blah. And I just made a simple post. Hey, no matter what, there is no denying that something like a good morning, even if it is a quote unquote backwards moving, doesn't help you in the sport that I do. I don't really can't speak on baseball. I would imagine it works. I, I believe that it works, but I just laid down some very simple, as matter of fact as I could be, gave some analogies. And next thing I know, James is live on Instagram. I'm watching it. And he's talking about the video where I referenced him and I, I, I'm tuning in and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You know, um, I've, I've had that happen uh, a, a couple times. Um, I just lost James. I don't know if he's still there. Are you still there, James? I think so. You're still there on audio. Okay, you're back okay, on video. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's the norm to have technical difficulties on podcasts. So I'm going to leave anything that happens like that and let it be part of the art. And I, I mean, that's really enough to kind of, <laughs> since then, I guess I'll, I'll sum it up with this. Since then, the, the past, I guess, month or so, um, I have really been taking on, I, I've really been all in on giving your style of lifting and really under as much suggestion as you care to give me and as much time and energy as I'm able to put into it. I have been dedicating my, you know, extracurricular strength work, all things strength related. Um, I've been, I've been using your mentorship your, your influence, your style of lifting. And already in that short amount of time, and I've been a strength coach my whole adult life. Um, you know, it, it has been not only a game changer, but it is obvious to me that it is going to become a monumental game changer. So without further ado, um, if there's anything you would like to say about that, cover up some bases that I might've missed. Um, I would also ask you just to give the typical, you know, hey, upbringing, you getting into lifting, what it led to, to pretty much where we're at. And uh, so, so let's hear a little bit about you, James. Uh, the thing that uh, strikes me when um, the, the problem with what I'm trying to get people to do, I can do some of the more circusy, strongman stuff, but I realize that that is going to taint everything else I put out as being part and parcel of that. And so I'm trying to help people to see that with just a barbell and a couple of dumbbells and a lot of weight, you can get really strong and mobile, probably as strong and mobile as you want. Uh, I, I'm trying to be that guy that I didn't have when I was 12, 13 years old. It's like, hey, kid, don't worry about the magazines. Don't worry about the noise, about machines. Um, you can get a lot done with just basic equipment. You know, I'll never forget the Muscle Mag International by Bob Kennedy. It was a great magazine, one of my favorite magazines. Rest in peace, Bob. And uh, he was married to his wife is uh, uh, Tosca Reno. Is that her name? Tosca Reno, the fitness celebrity. And, um, but anyways, um, the magazine's, showing pictures of Franco Colombo doing a last spread and the article is basically like, well, you can do barbell pullovers and bent rows, but if you don't have a Nautilus pullover machine, 
you're kind of screwed. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. Franco probably used one when he visited Arthur Jones in Florida for like, what, six weeks? Those those, those lats came from, uh, geez, I don't know, deadlifting four times body weight for reps, maybe? I I don't know. I mean, let's be real about really, you know, what's going on. So I'm trying to trying to help people uh keep it simple you know and there's a lot of noise out there there's a lot of crap uh, and i'm just trying to help people simplify it i I think uh as a christian uh i've been given a gift to kind of see things that other people don't see i don't invent much i don't really create it's hard because stuff is already there so it's not like i created the physical laws of our body so to me i'm just kind of like going hey hey you know you can do this Maybe you've never noticed that, but it's over there and you can go do that with your body because the body hasn't changed in thousands and thousands of years, you know? So if, if the old time strongmen were doing it 100, 120, 140 years ago, why can't we do it? But uh, it's basically just, uh, you know, you can, you can move as good as you want. You can be as strong as you want, barring some cataclysmic, horrific injury from sometime earlier in your life, or if you're actually one of the few people that has a genetic limitation, um, which is funny because it seems like all the people with genetic limitations are the only ones that post squat videos on YouTube because they're the only ones that, you know, I just don't understand it. You know, I have yet to work with anyone of any age that with the right attention to detail and fixing the right bits and pieces couldn't squat deeply. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, I've worked with all kinds of people, you know, and I just, I haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I don't think it's as prevalent as it's made out to be. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to write off your problems as genetics. It's easy to say, you know, I just can't. As soon as you say it, you're right, you know. So I'm just trying to help people realize they can. I'm trying to give them a style of lifting that there's no excuse. If you get a barbell, some plates, dumbbells, you're good to go. You don't need a lot of money. If you're on vacation somewhere and they get plates and a barbell, you're good to go. You can get as flexible and as strong as you want, you know, and it's, it's empowering. A lot of people are intimidated, intimidated, but at first doing an Arthur lift where you pick up the bar from behind you, hop it up the back and get it to your shoulders, put it overhead. That bothers a lot of people and intimidates them at first. Then they start liking the challenge of it. They start getting more interested in, wow, I didn't know I could move my body like that. And it just becomes this growing thing, you know, where they realize I can do this, all this stuff with my body, you know? And I think that's where the chronic pain comes from is not knowing, you know, it's like finally something gets through to you and says, Hey, you have a body and it hurts right here in this part, you know? And that's sometimes some people, that's their first inkling that there's a body that they live in and that they should probably pay attention to, you know? So I think, I think it can help them fix, that chronic pain by becoming aware of the body once you become aware of more parts of the body then you can go so i can control whether my body feels good or bad yes you can just do the right exercises do them the right amount as frequently as you need to do them get as strong as you need to be on them wow all of a sudden you get people that that have cannot do this cannot do that or haven't been able to do this in 20 years or 15 years can now do it and do it pain-free so it's just it's not magic. It's just doing the things your body needs it to do. It's that simple, you know? And I think the problem with a lot of coaches that I see, you know, you're either, they're either coaching D, division one athletes, NCAA athletes. Well, what doesn't work with that for goodness sake? 
They're going to go pro. You can any diet's going to work with them. Yes, there is a best diet for them, but they're going to they're good responders. They're going to respond to whatever training and diet you throw at them. You know, better than you and I will. You know, and so that's part of what inspired me about the old time strong men and the old time strong women is that they're just regular people. You know, no like picking and choosing from a Division One NCAA pool. You know, it's just regular people. And so these coaches, they haven't had to deal with people that had a certain difficulty. There's a big difference between teaching Division Division One athletes how to do this, that, or the other versus a regular mom and dad who may not have any athletic experience at all. And they got bills and kids and mortgages and car payments and responsibilities. And they might be able to squeeze out three workouts a week of an hour session. And out of that hour session, what are you going to get out of them? 40 minutes maybe because they got a shower, shine and shave. You know what I mean? Change up and then change back. So, I mean, if you're lucky, you'll get 40 minutes out of them three times a week, maybe. And man, you got to give them a reason to be there. Start making them feel better. And you're not going to do that with the same stuff that all the coaches are teaching at all the, across the nation, across the world. It's just not going to work with regular people. You have to find what works with regular people. So that's what I'm on. I think God's given me a gift to kind of see some things and notice some things. I've created a few or come up with a few exercises, but uh, it's uh, just being able to see things, kind of kind of acknowledge it. You know, you just, uh, um, if you don't, you got to look for it as well. You can't just, it's not going to come up and slap you in the face. Like you were ready when you were ready, right? Yes. Not like something come up and, and, and said, hey, stupid do this no it was when you're ready you're ready bill star could have told you whatever heck george hector could have told you whatever five times 50 times but until you were ready you're right ready. you know and i know that seems kind of silly when you say you're ready when you're ready you know it sounds annoying and it sounds kind of doofish but it's true you're all the best information in the world who knows how much information has already passed me by before i woke up i have no idea I remember an old-time strongman, believe it or not, Ted Kepler, God bless him. He competed in the Mr. America back in the 40s. I met him in his 80s, I think, still going to the gym, and I was still in bodybuilding, and he was trying to tell me about a bent press and said, come on up and I'll show you. And I never did because I was a bodybuilder, and bodybuilders didn't do that. What an idiot. What an idiot I am. And so – Pretty much, I've had a little bit of coaching from another old-timer, but pretty much, I missed out on a huge influence from a guy of that era, because this was over 20 years ago. So he would have been from that World War II era of strongmen. No, I, I knew enough, you know. So how much information do we pass by? Because we think, we think we know and we don't. Like that old uh, that, that story about the Zen teacher that uh, had a student and the student had already trained in other styles and said, what, what can you show me? And uh, the Zen master said, well, put up your cup for tea and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, I'll fill your cup with tea and starts filling it. And the tea starts overflowing the cup and, and the, the potential student says, stop, stop. It's too full. And he goes, just like your head, it's too full. And until you empty it, I cannot put a thing into it, but come <laughs> back when you've emptied your head, you know, and that's, that's kind of true with all of us. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that's uh, yeah. You made so many great points there. One thing that really stands out to me is thinking back on my view on a lot of things, 
before I ever tried them. And I'm experiencing this again for the first time in a long time doing these lifts. Of course, I have a decent enough vision and understanding to know what perhaps a one-arm barbell overhead press will feel like me more than the average person tenfold. But until I actually do it, I have no way to know what it's like. And that is something that your style of lifting falls uh, victim to is people watching it and thinking they understand what it means to go down that path. And sure, they respect some surface level arbitrary details. For sure, they might take your word for it, that it makes you feel better, that it makes you feel strong in ways that you weren't before. Um, when you talk about having a strong grip strength and the effect, but until they actually put themselves through the process, they have no way of, of conceiving what it is. And you get these people theorizing on what maybe a toes open plie squat feels like and how it might feel on the inside of their kneecap having never had done it. And when you do it, you realize that it's actually the exact opposite as what intelligent idealism a good, you would have a good reason to watch that movement and think that might feel bad on the inside of the knee. That might not feel good. But when you actually do it and you see the results and, and oftentimes there's this bizarre, I think sometimes you're aware of a dynamic, but oftentimes you get it oppositely wrong when it comes to the way a movement will affect you and make you feel. You can be aware that, that it might affect your knee, but, but it might even have the opposite effect. And I don't want to get too into to making the points on this one, because I want you to give as many points as you can, but I always had uh, knock knees from being obese all through uh, youth. And I had, you know, like the duck feet, the flat feet. And I was as a result, scared of the way that I squatted, which was fairly open toed. I was scared of the plie stuff. I was scared of things like um, curtsy, curtsy lunges or squats and all of these things. Lo and behold, those are some of the best ways to fix the exact same reason, you know, I wasn't doing it, you know, and not to make that specific of a point, but, but, but before you ever got into this stuff, your thoughts on a bent press, despite having the knowledge base, being well-read, being a pretty, you know, having a strong, somewhat objective vision, all of these things couldn't conceptualize it until you went through with it. And if there's anything I could express to anyone, it's like if you are not training specifically for powerlifting meets, if you are not, you know, training specifically for weightlifting meets, what do you have to lose by throwing yourself to these ideas and principles and seeing what happens, improving potentially gaping holes in your ability to balance weight in various ways, to understand how to move it in various ways. I am understanding a barbell far more by not just walking it out of a rack and squatting it and starting to play around with, well, dang, I got to get this thing up by my shoulder. You understand it so much more 
to, to play with it. And it reminded me, we had a conversation where I said I was hearing uh, strength coach Dan John, who actually, in my opinion, not, not narrow in a bad way, but he stays in his lane and doesn't like to speak on kind of these movements that are, are somewhat outside of his wheelhouse. But he made the point, if you have a fixed object that you are lifting with, you're going to play with it and learn to do so many things with it outside of just a few movements, because what else are you going to do? So, so when I watch you, it really looks like somebody familiarizing themselves with all of the things that, that you could really do to a weight. And it is a form of expression. And the next thing I wouldn't mind you, you bringing up or speaking a little bit on something that, that has been, I mean, I, I, it is a very powerful sentiment, and it's one that I've shared with a few uh, friends of mine since hearing it, but the idea of if you take competition off the table and you just look at, at, at strength training as something you do, the idea of using it as a form of self-discovery and self-expression and not just needing to follow the parameters of I'm going to lift to, to squat. I'm going to lift to do a conventional deadlift. I am going, I am going to lift to figure things out about myself to try to address anything I'd like to address. Um, experience uh, unique forms of, of, of mental and physical fortitude, um, artistry, uh, fun, whatever. Like, like the idea that, that you talked about of, of using it as a form of, of self-discovery, self-expression was really fascinating to me. So I wouldn't mind you kind of maybe what led you to that thought and um, I know you mentioned Bruce Lee influence, but but what explain explain that a little bit better and go into a little bit more detail there. That's it. Yeah, you you take the reins on this one. Explain exactly what a little so, bit better. I guess I missed. Yeah. So so the idea of lifting for other means than competition and lifting for other means than just, oh, I'm going to back squat because everybody says this is what I need to do and I need to put my toes this specific way. The idea of sort of the discovery that can be had in not playing literally, but but having this dynamic approach and and learning what suits you um, you know, the, the subjective maybe experience of it and sort of the artistry of, of what you do, maybe perhaps, is there, is there something you could, you could, uh, share on that perhaps? Well, it's, it's a, a bigger, let me step back from that specifically. Like the problem, I think a big problem is everything is, is looked through the lens of either powerlifting or weightlifting or bodybuilding. You know, I sent you a link today of, of Mike O'Hearn and uh, who I've been a fan of for like 25 years or so. And uh, just talking about it, showing him doing a, a front raise and what I would call a full front raise. Just like I do full laterals. I don't stop at the top of the shoulder. I go all the way overhead. And they, you know, and the question was, you know, is this good or bad? And it's just funny that we have to have a conversation about is full range of motion good or bad? Right. It's just kind of, it's funny when you think about it. But if there was no such thing as bodybuilding, we would not be thinking. That question would not come up because we would be saying, of course you do a full range. You go all the way to the top. Right. You know? 
So we're looking at expression through these three different sports, okay? So now if bodybuilding is your thing, if powerlifting is your passion, if weightlifting is your passion and it, it expresses you, it lights you on fire and it, it does everything and more for you, you know, of course you need to do that. But I don't think you should close yourself off to special exercises, weird looking exercises. Because one of the ways I convince people to try something new, and not just competitive athletes, um, but also regular mom and dads, I'll say, hey, you're only one new exercise away from fixing, you know, that, that knee wobble on your squat. We're one, one new exercise away. We don't know which one it is. And I, don't, I certainly don't know enough to tell you what it is. So, you know, and it's, it's funny because whenever someone tries a new exercise, just trying to get guys to do it, just got, trying to get guys to do an underhand bench press is like one of the labors of Hercules, you know? It's guy, I'm like, guys, it's still a bench press, oh, but it feels weird. I'm like, everything feels weird the first time you got it. I don't care if it was squats, benches, or a blowjob. It all felt weird the first time you had it, you know? So mm -hmm. you got to not just try a new exercise once. You got to give it, back in the day, the bodybuilders, back in the 70s and so I, I remember they would say they would rotate a new type of exercise in and give it six weeks a six-week cycle just to see where it's at you know a lot of people are not going six weeks they're trying it once or twice and then they're done with it it's like no you really got to learn it how long did you really feel comfortable how long did it take to get comfortable ish on squats how long did it take comfortable you know to get comfortable on bent rows barbell bent rows <clears throat> so I, I think those two things, when you address with people, you're only one exercise away from fixing a weakness. And yeah, it's going to feel weird. It's new. You've never done it before. If it didn't feel weird, I would, I would be very suspicious of that. How could it not feel weird? It's new, you know? So I think, I think expressing yourself through the weight, you know, being honest about what you need, you know, if you need five of these, but you're too busy doing, 18 of the things you like, well, come on. You can still do some of the things you like, but you really need to do the five things you need to be doing, you know? Um, so it's, it's just interesting to me because you can, you, can, you can get expressive with your body because as we get older, we don't move as well as we used to. And so if you take up training that helps you maintain at 50 what you could do at 30, wouldn't you be a happier person because you can express yourself? You can go play with your grandkids as well as you did with your kids. Right. You know what I mean? Be able to run around and jump. Wouldn't that be worth it to maybe do some funky, weird exercises? You know? yeah. And that's, that's how I look at it. I try to help people understand that, that it's controllable. I don't tell them too much because I don't want to go, hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to fix that because you sound like a car salesman and people automatically are turned off. They just shut down when you start trying to sell them something. So help them express themselves better with different exercises, simple exercises. And it may not feel comfortable or right for a, a while, but I can tell you for a fact, the people I've worked with, it's after the second workout, they can tell you, all right, this is fixing that thing I've needed to get fixed. So it's not like you got to wait six weeks to see the results. You might be a few weeks to really get comfortable and solid with it, 
But after the second workout, you should know whether or not it's working for you. You know? Right. But if you think about it, the the sport of weightlifting, what do they use? Maybe a dozen exercises, maybe a dozen and a half, maybe. You know, uh, that's not going to be very expressive for most people. That's not going to help you fix what you need, you know? And uh, it's like the top of the, any food chain is going to be the people that kind of respond. You know, we're trying to stuff people into, into good responding programs, programs that have worked well for people that have responded to these programs. And it's kind of silly if you ask me. It's like, I, I don't want to distill the Olympic or even national caliber program. I don't. I'm not worthy of it. I don't, I don't have the ability for it. I need a program that works for me. So right. it's funny. We, we really need to think about where are we getting our information from? We've got hundreds of exercises that we're not showing people. And we've got, a, you know, we've got a bunch of people that are just training people and coaching people as a job. That's it. It's just a job. It's not like you're really trying to help them out, you know? And so it's, it's sad to me to see that because it couldn't be so simple to help people out, to help them express themselves because there are so many great exercises out there. So, and you could, and when you find the stuff that really works for you, you're going to waste so much less time. You're going to get so much bang for your buck. You know, I don't know. It's, it's once you, once you get rolling on it, cause you've seen for yourself how, how quickly things can change, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just doing the right exercises. And sometimes you're going to fudge around a while and figure out what those right exercises were. But I'd rather have a bunch of exercises that I crossed off my list than going, I still don't know if those work for me or not. <laughs> right. You know, so. Yeah. Um, I think I, people just need to be passionate about helping other people rather than just making money. Yeah. You, you really hit the nail on the head as far as at least kind of like, slamming home what I was trying to alley-oop. And when you said you're one new exercise away from from addressing what drastically needs to be addressed in your life. And a lot of people don't realize how much they needed it until the weight of that issue is lifted off their shoulders. You don't know what an invigorating feeling it is if you don't know to be transformed to that extent. And it is no joke, man. It is absolutely no joke. Um, And go ahead. When they start, when they start realizing I can control this. I've had arthritis in my sacrum for years. And, and right now I don't have any pain because we've been doing this and this. So if I just keep doing this and stay strong enough at it, yeah, you should be fine. And I'm like, I can't believe I can control this. This is totally on me. If I come in and do these two workouts a week with this and this and use at least this much weight and do at least this many reps, because they found out that's what makes them feel better. Not like there's any magic formula or sets and reps I can divulge to you. Each person has to figure out on their own. I can give general guidelines, but when people realize they can control how good they feel, that's big. That is huge. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think the training I see today is giving people that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, 
And, and it reminds me of like this sort of thought that, that you, you, you may or may not fully agree, but, but you probably agree to some extent. If I'm having a discussion with, to somebody and I mention that I've been going to a yoga class and somebody tells me, oh my God, I, I can't do that. that. That's so hard for me. I mean, the, the, I, I, I like tell them, I want to shake them and say, hey, dummy, that's the realization to step into the yoga class. You're the most like, like you are the exact thing that needs this yoga class. I need it less than you because of the fact that you can't do it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are fine lines. So I can't just suggest that every lift that, that feels uncomfortable for you is the lift for you. But I mean, yeah, right. sometimes it is that simple as like, oh my God, I'm so oddly bad at this and i'm so lacking all everything related to the coordination the strength the uh asymmetry side to side the relative strength to other movements that are like this the discomfort the lack of range of motion all of these are reasons to experiment with improving it like that that to me is when you talk about understanding weightlifting it's not following a bunch of rules to learn the most ideal way to squat as far as like you know the the textbook you know well this guy says shoulder width apart this person says 15 degrees open this person says eye line is 6 feet out in front of you on the ground like to me it's understanding how to address your weaknesses and and balance out the body and improve the overall qualities of your body that we hold in high regard and we would like to improve and and learning how to do it with with the litmus tests of it's more about getting that feel of okay maybe i shouldn't go too heavy until i figure out the movement patterns of this maybe this is a bit more intense or advanced that i'm ready for but but i need to make it through here so it's kind of learning the uh, uh, the, the principles of going about it somewhat safely, but how many people do we know go to the gym and despite the fact that they get elbow tendonitis and, and shoulder impingement continue to try to bench press and do their skull crushers or whatever are hurting them all because they want to, to bench press. And they're not trying the underhand, like you're saying, they're not trying to fix maybe ranges of motion, doing the pullover and, and press, you know, getting their, their shoulder, all of these options, they're, they're throwing themselves through that same circle into the square hole, you know, sort of uh, yeah. analogy. So, so when you look at these movements and think, man, I don't know about this whole one arm clean into a bent press with a barbell thing that might hurt me. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, maybe you might hurt your risk being an idiot on it in the first month or, or maybe you will strain something or stress something that, that kind of is a minor setback, but, but we don't really, that's not really the big issue that people are experiencing with these lifts that they're so damned afraid of, you know? Right. Right. So, um, go, no, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. No, it's just, it's just, I've known people that have, I've known multiple people that have had at least one, if not two or three rotator cuff surgeries that are still benching. Somehow bench pressing gets a free pass. It's got the permanent get it out of jail free card. And it's the only exercise where people have died. You know, uh, your spotter doesn't catch it and it crushes 
the larynx, you're dead. And we've yeah. had plenty of people die from benching. But everyone's up in arms whenever I do a Steinborn or a barbell leg press, a self-loaded leg press. And they're like, well, that, bowl, that bar could fall on you. I'm like, how does it fall? I mean, you can let go of a bar on your back when you're squatting, and it may tip to one side, but it doesn't roll off you. So it's the same thing with the self-loaded leg press. Once you get like a 45 or so, and the bar sinks in, I wear Chuck Taylors. That's got a hard enough sole on it, and the bar sinks right into the soles. That bar's not going anywhere, except for where I put it, you know? And, I mean, most of us can probably do calf raises on a machine with 400 pounds or so, and none of us are going to get a 300-pound, or very few of us are going to get a 300-pound barbell to our feet. So it's, it's a non-issue. It's really kind of funny. It's, you know, you can't look at something and think you know exactly what it's like. I, I you know, I love watching ski jumpers, and I, I think that would be really cool. But I have a funny feeling that if I went and tried it, I probably would never do it again. Right. You know, I, I, can't, I can't even begin to ex- imagine the experience of it until you do it, you know. And so it's just funny that I don't know any injuries from leg pressing with a barbell. I don't know any injuries from, well, even, even people that say behind the neck presses and upright rows are, are death to your shoulders. And I'm like, Okay, well, tell me the people that have ended their careers by doing upright rows and or behind the neck press. I'll wait, you know. But how many people have had a career-ending injury from bench press? Many, you know, many. So it's, right. just, it's just funny to me, you know. And if you look at old-school benchers before, before the bench shirts became really popular, the behind the neck press was something like Ted Arcidi, who was the first to bench 700. And Ed Cohn, who I know people think of him as having a massive squat and deadlift, but it's like, well, wait, Ed was still benching two and a half times body weight in a t-shirt. That's legit benching. Like, he may not be the best of the best, but he's in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Um, uh, Bill Sino, who was a big bencher from the 60s and 70s, also used the behind the neck press until he said he just got so big he just couldn't do them anymore, but... You know, um, you look at the first guy to clean and press 500 pounds, Ken Patera of the United States, uh, competed in the Olympics. And like I said, first guy to clean and press 500. And he was doing behind the neck presses uh, from the rack, uh, 185 kilos, which is 407 pounds. No leg Mm. drive, you know, Uh, didn't hurt him any, you know. So I don't know. I don't know where all this came from, but. We've seen countless injuries on bench press. You could make a whole torn pack, torn rotator cuff bench press reel if you wanted to for probably an hour straight. And people would watch it and you'd probably get millions of views. But people are still going to bench. So somehow that gets a free pass, even though it's probably doing you more damage than good. Right. We society of looking down at our phones and sitting hunched over at a desk in front of a computer, you know, benching is probably one of the last things you need to be doing. Right. Um, Let's go ahead and, uh, you know, I guess I'll say some things that that you've had uh, me do a little bit. And some of the questions when people knew you were going to come on were, uh, were asking about, you know, the fact that, that, 
you're on and they do jujitsu. We're asking about maybe some, some lifts specific to jujitsu and, and whatnot. So I'll just say a few of the unique things that, that I've been doing lately. And then let's dive into the idea of, of maybe, um, I, I know that it's a bigger picture thing than what a grappler specifically needs, but let's maybe cover some specific lifts uh, or giving an idea of how you could really see some some obvious thing. Like I'll tell you something and I'll circle back to this in a sec was that somebody said, okay, uh, jujitsu is dangerous on the back. A lot of people deal with back issues over the years of, I guess, just being stacked in the bent spine and being smashed onto the mat and, and all bent. Um, and was asking about maybe lifts that in general would be good to do, uh, to maybe help prevent that. That was a question I got. Um, but I'll just say, you know, for instance, a unique thing that I've been doing is the, the bent press. Like, look, I've been trying to bent press. I'm on my way. I'm working on side presses. I'm working yep. on the technique. Um, I've been doing this cool thing. And, and these are things people should look into and, and find these things. I've been looking into the Kelly snatch and, and practicing that. Oh, uh, recently, yep. the, the one arm barbell overhead press. And you've been recommending doing that even eyes closed, heels to get heels together. I'm just hitting some bullet points. So I know you're not going to yep. be able to unpack all this, but I just want to give people some specific ideas of things to look into. We discussed how snatch grip um, requires a straighter back. So if you, if you go to a snatch grip, when you're doing pulls, when you're doing rows, it's going to put your body in specific, you know, mechanics that are going to allow your hips maybe to load weight and, and, and whatnot. Um, and I guess th those are big ones. And, and yeah, the plie deadlift, you, you had me do that. I've been looking into the Mansfield lift that you talked about, which is a Zercher grip, uh, pull off the floor. So, and, and I guess to really lead in, I have heard you talk about your three, what you would say, if you had to just generally recommend three uh, things, how much you like side uh, lunges, la you know, lateral lunges. Yep. Um, you talk yep. about a lift that we have not discussed yet, which is a, a leg over leg um, lateral, I guess, like some sort of bend. This is something that that may, it's an it's a movement that you said you made up that you had never seen anybody do. Oh, uh, probably the cross leg side bend. Yes, yes. Cross leg side bend. So I have not I don't think I've seen this as far as I know. I forget what else. I forget what your, maybe it was the seated bent press was the third movement that you said when I heard you talk, not that it's like your, your big three must talk about these maybe. three lifts, but, right. um, but regardless, so I've been doing some things. These have all helped my jujitsu game for various reasons that I'm not just going to unpack right now fully. Um, I, I let's hear maybe your thoughts. If you do have any specific thoughts on the end. Oh, this is what I wanted to mention about it too, is how many of these strong men that you're influenced by were wrestlers, were proficient wrestlers. So yeah, yeah. Let, yeah. let's hear a little bit about any insight you might have on grappling specifically people worried about like getting their backs jacked up. Um, 
I don't know if that was a fear of, you know, maybe I don't want to do deadlifts as a result, or if it was even the other side of that, do I want to be doing things like that to prevent the pain? You know, because some people I think worry about, well, I already am recruiting so much on my spine in jujitsu, that typical thing. Let's hear some stuff, anything grappling related, anything that you think people really should focus on, whatever you want to say. Yeah, I would. I would love to work with a, with a grappling gym. I think it'd be a lot of fun to set up a training program uh, with a grappling gym and, and insert some ideas and um, increase some mobility and strength. Uh, early grapplers, um, you have like um, Henry Steinborn, who gave us the Steinborn lift here in the States. He's from Germany, but he was also a, a pro wrestler. He, uh, immigrated here in 1921 and before then up until that time i should say most of our squatting was the bar on the back and we'd squat down and sit on our haunches as they used to say which means we're sitting on the back of our heels sitting on our achilles tendon as our uh, heels came up off the ground and we we rolled into the knee joint use the elasticity of the knee joint of the patella tendon up patella tendon in that fascial tissue and you'd roll in and cause a rebound effect and come back up kind of like going around the corner you know and when milo came here he started uh, showing us how they did it in germany which was just uh, taking the bar from the ground because there was no squat racks because there was no squat you know there was no need for a squat rack so they would he would take a loaded bar tip up one end and uh, drop it on his back and stand up with it and he wound up doing 550 pounds or 250 kilos for four or five reps at a body weight of 95 kilos or about 209, 210 pounds. So two and a half times body weight is what he was doing. He also, at one point, I think he set a world record on the clean and jerk in a meet unintentionally because they, they misloaded the weight on the second attempt and he got pissed off and made it anyways on the third attempt. And it wasn't until afterwards they realized that it was the world record. Um, you had people like him and before that uh, you had... Um, of the century, uh, late 18, early 1900s, you had George Hackenschmidt and uh, Arthur Saxon, who were both world champion wrestlers, literally world champions, and also had been world champion weightlifters. And um, they had come up with stuff that was useful to them in their wrestling. Arthur, of course, not only was big into bent pressing and the two hand anyhow, which is basically taking two implements and getting them overhead, he could. Um, He's still the best at it. It took the clean and it took specializing on the clean and jerk. And what I mean is, it took the sport of weightlifting 50 years to finally catch up to his two hand, anyhow. So, for 50 years, the greatest weight lifted overhead was done by Arthur Saxon in November 3rd, 1905. He bent pressed 336 pound barbell, reached down, grabbed a 112-pound kettlebell and put it and pressed it overhead. Brought it to his shoulder and pressed it overhead. So that's 448 pounds via two implements by a man who weighed between uh, about 205 pounds. Took weightlifting, which really started, uh, I think the IWF was formed in 1905. <clears throat> that same year, if I remember right. And it wasn't until the mid-50s, about a half a century later, that they finally had a clean and jerk that was greater than 448 pounds, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, you know? 
And then you had George Hackenschmidt, you know, who was uh, still to this day the Hackenschmidt lift, which is a deep knee bend, but with a bar behind you, picked up from the ground. To this day, no one has topped his 50 reps at 50 kilos, which is 121 pounds. Can you imagine doing that deep knee bend from the ground with 121 pounds for 50 reps? You know, mm. and that was a common practice, you, even with the Indian lifters uh, over in Asia. They would do that type of squat. I forget the exact name of it. I should know it, and I don't. Jeez, uh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. But um, he could also do the lift with 187 and a quarter pounds, 85 kilos. No one has topped that. And he's the reason why we have the bench press, because as a wrestler, he not only needed the leg endurance and leg strength from that lift that became called the Hackenschmidt lift, but uh, he also gave us the bench press, eventually became the bench press, which is the pullover press. So you're on the ground, you pull the weight over, and you push it off you using your hips and your arms to develop the strength of getting a, a getting an opponent off you to keep you from getting pinned, you know? So it's, it's pretty interesting that these wrestlers weren't trying to be weightlifters. They were just trying to be wrestlers who use lifts to help their wrestling. That, that is, go ahead. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that should be eye opening to any grappler. Um, that, that literally the origin of a lot of these lifts was to improve yeah. their grappling ability. And when you get people who argue, well, I don't know about lifting under loads and lifting in different directions, you are grappling a multiple hundred pound object that is trying to impose its will on you when you are at your most tired, your most fatigued at the <laughs> least, at the least Desi the least ideal angles they're 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 misaligning things uh they're they're using extra leverage they're they're getting the furthest up on different i mean they're torquing joints the opposite of the way that you're the most comfortable and they're you're constantly failing on reps to try to escape i mean the you are you are doing a very odd form of strongman sometimes when you are yeah. grappling yeah. somebody at the very yeah. least certain movements, very like certain movements definitely replicate a lot of the things that you're doing. And when you have movement fear, when you have movement fear in the weight room, you're afraid of ranges of motion that your body can go. You're afraid of being strong in certain angles that is going to destroy your full potential as a grappler, like, like duh. And it actually, I believe, you know, personally, there's, there's a lot of injury that is a result of being so afraid and and maybe between spasms and things that occur when you are extremely afraid of your back not being in the most ideal position your foot not being in the most ideal position there is a lot of thought that 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 actually can induce pain signaling um, imbalances in muscle tension and cause a lot of physical issues, not to go down a road that, you know, maybe neither one of us are as educated in to, to totally speak on, but I think movement fear and being afraid of your own rage of motion and jujitsu has taught me that tenfold. I mean, I do it every 
day on top of lifting, on top of yoga, on top of having a physical job. And because of my understanding, and I have a very strong man style of jujitsu, because of my understanding and my, you know, belief and principles in the weight room, I am able to do what I'm able to do as a grappler, oftentimes going against guys a lot bigger than me. I weighed in 234, my last super fight against a guy who was like 290, you know, and, and another really cool thing about um, and I went head on. I tried being the alpha. I tried being the physical dominant. You know, that is almost always my uh, my strategy against the big, strong guy is to be the stronger guy, be the be the, the win the strongman contest. But another fascinating thing about these people that were doing such amazing feats is that this is pre steroid era that people were doing these marvelous things. So if you're used to really not being sure of whether or not the reason someone is as strong as they are, able to do what they're able to do because of the fact that they're they're on steroids, look no further than than great strong men, you know, pre pre 1960, I guess, early 60s is when it started getting a little more popular, but I mean, this is this is some miraculous things and you're talking about I mean, th- there's a lot to, to look into from a guy. <laughs> I'll tell you something funny I thought is, so let me get this straight. Poor, poor George uh, ha- Hackenschmidt. I don't know if that's, that's his uh, yep. full last name. Yep. Poor, poor George Hackenschmidt. He invents two movements and we, we give him, we put his name onto the hack squat, the one nobody knows. And we don't put it, we, <laughs> poor guy. We could have called it the hack press, <laughs> you know? Well, thank you. You know, it's funny when you think about it, if, if you and I were working together and we had 10 guys, 10 grapplers or 10 women, whatever, but 10 grapplers, grapplers, and let's say each one, we said, all right, we want you to write down the position that freaks you out, that you feel weakest, that you're like, oh shit, as soon as I get into that position, you put your name on it. We're going to have session with each of you of figuring out what lifts are going to make you stronger in that position. And once you've gained 10% more strength on whatever that certain lift that we've figured out, working with them, we'll figure out what's going to make them feel stronger and more confident. Now they have their next, next match. They know they're stronger. They're more confident because they've done the homework. They know they've brought up their weakest link. Like, wouldn't that be worth investing in? And I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be an old time strong man i have no allegiance to anyone but the weakness that that person has that's my allegiance whatever that weakness is let's find an exercise that fixes it and i've had to come up with exercises over the years you, you gotta you gotta make them up if you need to you gotta know anatomy enough to be able to fix uh to to make up an exercise to help someone fix a weakness so but imagine what that would do if you're a grappler why why not take those oh shit positions positions whether it's one or multiple and say, I'm going to find things that make it really strong that they can't go there with me. I will not let them because I have too much strength. Because basically at some level, you're all roughly the same technique. When you go up a certain level of competition, you're hitting very similar technique levels. You're hitting similar uh, time of training, amount of uh, skin in the game. And so what's going to separate you 
is someone who not only has your technique, but is not afraid because they know they're strong from any position you're going to put them in. Right. Yeah. No, it, it makes, it, to it makes me, total it's a sense. no-brainer. Right. Yeah. And I, and I don't think you're going to need 37 and a half weird exercises to make it happen. I think, I think just take one, fix one thing at a time. Right. And start addressing that and see how much more confident you are. You know and because I mean? yeah, if you can resist what your opponent is trying to do to you, and let's say, all right, you had one thing, and then six months later you go do a, another match. Now you got three things they can't do to you. Six, and you keep training. Six months later, they got half a dozen things they can't do to you. It's going to become frustrating to deal with you because you are not allowing anyone to put you in a position that you don't want to be. You have complete control. Right. And, and it doesn't take, this is something people are, it doesn't take that long to get stronger, to get balanced, something that only people who've done uh, heavy, heavy being relative to you, but heavy lifting understand is that it is the, it's the holy grail of, of adaptation. You know, when you take somebody and they've just done body weight squats every day and you start making them do a movement where they progress weight, I mean, the amount of growth and change and strength that and, and transformation and adaptation in just a couple months is going to be so much more drastic than the work they've put in, you know, every day doing this body weight uh, exercise, getting strong changes you. And when you have a sport that is asymmetrical, I play half guard on one side. I go, you know, for this, the arm triangle on one side. And that was causing issues in my body. And I was trying to spend time playing the game from both sides, but that's counterproductive to my sport. But if I find things that address those asymmetries in the weight room, if I do the side lunges, if I learn how to do the bent press, if I do these things, and, and now it's balancing out the asymmetries of my life. It's balancing out the fact that I've always sat on the left side of my couch with that arm hunched up and all of the negatives that come along with that, having a routine that addresses these side to side as you preach uh, tremendously, uh, the imbalances in the left and right chain uh, at the highest uh, you know, importance, and then looking into other imbalances and asymmetries, you could look front to back, top to bottom, um, looking for asymmetries, but left and right symmetrical issues is something that, that I think destroys almost every athlete that, that gets what they consider overtraining issues. And I've never felt so neutral in the way my sport affects me. Now I do have a strong yoga practice as well, but, but the, but the weightlifting and doing these things, it changes me so much more rapidly and it makes me so much more aware of my asymmetry. So let's just say you, you brought up an interesting point, which it's something I didn't have the uh the confidence to fully believe in and i stupidly never really put the emphasis on it but the first time i ever saw lateral lunges as a strength movement outside of just you know like a martial arts sort of stretch uh, the first time i ever saw somebody squat to the side like that i thought huh 
what a really all-encompassing movement with obvious benefit that you know works the thighs, the groin, uh, depending on the angle of the leg that you're squatting into. It doesn't just work this lateral force. There's holy crap, what a dynamic, all planes, equally, evenly. I mean, what an all-inclusive movement. And your point was that you would imagine that that would have a a better progress in your overall state of life and athletics uh, probably than, than just getting good at a normal squat. And whether or not that is hard and stone truth, let's just take a look at something like a lateral Uh, lunge. And so if people don't know, just stepping to the side and squatting down, it's similar to what people have seen as a Cossack squat. There are differences. And you and I have both had conversations where it is obviously a drastically different movement, but to the average person, just understanding what maybe they'll get from doing this one darn movement you know, maybe as like a general do a little bit of them daily, but once a week you're doing a a lifting day with them, what they could expect and to find out about themselves, maybe. Well, I think, I think one of the simplest ways I've described it, I'm like, you can get really good at squats and still need to do some extra groin work. You can get really good at side lunges. You're going to have strong legs and you're going to get all the groin work you're ever going to need. Right as well as you're going to, by stepping one foot out, landing, pushing off, coming back, and trying to get those feet to feel the same. When you push off with the left, try to get it to feel as good as when you push off with the right. It's really a no-brainer. A squat's worthless? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you're someone with limited time, limited facilities, side lunge is going to give you a lot more at the end of the day than trying to pile on the weight with squat. Just because you can use more weight on something doesn't mean it's A, what you need, or B, that it's better. It has nothing to do with it at all. Better is better. Not heavier is better. Better is better. So if I'm working with someone, I'm working with someone now in their mid-50s, they're doing side lunges. So now they're more secure in their feet. They were kind of not balancing so well. Now they're secure with their feet, their balance, their coordination, the foot timing, they're getting around life much better. So am I serving them better by teaching them squats or a side lunge? Side lunge. Right. You know, why, what are we showing people and why are we showing them? You know? Um, the other thing I wanted to say with grappling is that if you think about some of the stretched out positions and torqued positions you get into that are like extreme end range of motion with your body, what if you were 10, what if you woke up tomorrow and you were 10% stronger in that position? What if you trained lifts that put you into that extreme range and you get as strong on those extreme ranges as possible? And when you went to your next max, you were 10% stronger than last time. You're going to have a different outcome or a better outcome or a less chance of injury outcome. You know, it's, it's one thing to be able to stretch into a long position, but to be able to contract back from that position. I think that's what scares people. I, anybody can get good at, at going long and getting their body as long or as twisted as possible, but it's like, now you got to exert force there. And I think that freaks some people out. So why not do the training that takes away that doubt? Learn to develop that force in that extreme range in a controlled setting. The place to find out is not in a match because that is anything but a controlled setting. So right. why now, give yourself a controlled setting. Do it in a gym. Do it with some weights. 
do it on your terms where you increase how much resistance is, you determine how much resistance is on the bar rather than someone who's going to try to flip you and move you from that extreme range. And they're going to be hell bent, you know, hell bent to try to make you go wherever with as much force as they can. So rather than putting yourself in that situation, why not do a controlled setting, use the weight that you want to use, that you need. I don't know. It just, it just makes sense to me. I think it can make you much more secure. And I think maybe you may not realize how much you hold back until you start training and fixing some weaknesses. And then you're like, yeah. And it's funny because once you get someone working on someone they suck at, something they really are just weak, and they start to get a little stronger, and they start to realize, I've got the ball rolling on this. This, Yeah, yeah, this is great. Let's, let's keep going. You know, Once it starts to improve, which shouldn't take long, it shouldn't take long at all, but I think once people start to improve on that weakness, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I should have done this a while ago. I don't know why I waited, you know, and I, I've just seen it happen in, uh, again and again and again with whatever the weakness is. Once you get them to finally do it, you know, I just had a guy that spent six months waiting for him to come around. And finally he said something the other day and I'm like, Oh, okay. You're ready now. I could have yelled at him. I could have got on him about it, but why? It's not going to do any good until he's ready. Six months right. later, he's now ready to, to like, Hey, so, uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that. And after a couple of couple of workouts, I'm going to tease him about, well, it could have been a lot further along if you would have listened six months ago, but that's okay. You've got time to burn, you know, because what can you do? You know, so when people are ready, they're ready. But uh, I say, if you get a chance to work on that weakness, don't put it off. If you found something, man, that works your weakness, don't put it off. There's a lot of people still struggling to find out what works. If you find something that works, why wait? Dig in, you know? Yeah, is no, is one, no one's going to lay on their deathbed someday and go, oh, I really wish I hadn't worked those weaknesses. I wish I hadn't fixed that problem I had. You know? Right. As, as, as much as it is a hard pill to swallow, uh, coming to terms with how much you suck at something and how much it hurts the ego of somebody that might be strong on a squat to find out that they're weak on something uh, in, you know, in comparison, it's so much a better feeling to start making those improvements and start addressing that thing that you were afraid of. It's always better to address it head on and improve it. And then you learn to, you learn to really get that into your head. Like if I would definitely recommend that if somebody's out there and they're already strong at all the lifts that they do, and it's just somewhat of like a maintenance thing, like add a little bit of variety, experiment with something new and find some yeah. stuff that they suck at to get better at. And, and to, to your point with, with jujitsu, Already, I've noticed from doing like the Kelly snatch or something, I've noticed in Kimura like positions, I'm not as afraid. I feel so much, you know, stronger already. And it's not even a movement that I've progressed that much. And I wanted to add when, when I was thinking about this and hearing you, not only do you have lifts that you know, help with mobility, help open you up to new things. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. You are able to do your splits. You're able to do these, yeah. these side bends that are tremendous. And you're not just, you're not just doing hours and hours of stretching a day. And it probably is something you were not able to do when you started. I would imagine when you started lifting and when you got into this stuff you talked about having chronic back issues and 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 having yeah. 
some hey you probably were not doing splits back then i would imagine uh, were you? maybe i was it's been over 35 years though it's, yeah i've been doing splits a long time at least maybe maybe a little bit after fixing my back i started doing splits but i've I, what has helped me deviate from my regular bodybuilding was reading articles about how uh, the myoatic reflex and how um, when a muscle is pre-stretched first, it comes back with a stronger contraction. And so that clicked with me right mm. away very early in my bodybuilding in the 80s that, well, wait a minute, this sounds to me like you can be really strong by training to be really flexible. Yes. You know, but no one else was looking at it like that. And I thought that was odd. It was just a technique to cause a little more of an intense contraction. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's a more intense contraction, you should be able to lift more. So if I go for a pre-stretch, I can get stronger. So I, I started associating stretching and strengthening together mm -hmm. very early on, you know. And I, I think they're two sides of the same coin. I think you can be very mobile, very flexible, and very strong. And if you know what you're doing and you want to be in the game for a while, you're going to look at it similarly. You're going to say, get long and strong, you know? Um, yeah. It affects pain too. People are in dealing with this chronic pain. A lot of our imbalances, like, I mean, one of your biggest things and in, in sentiments and maybe like the last thing we'll touch on before we, we wrap it up kind of is, is there is a tremendous effect on pain and we deal, we are a people that are in pain due to our weaknesses, our imbalances, our lack of, of embracing full range of motion. And, and that's something that you preach. I mean, one of your biggest things with your clients, with everyday people is using this style of, of lifting and strengthening and lengthening to address pain, which is what fascinates me more than anything. My favorite thing to do is fix anything that doesn't feel good on me and have my clients feel good. They're not, they, that's really why they do what they do when they're with me. I prioritize almost everybody has something that aches. Almost everybody has something that feels yep. wrong. And that is always my utmost priority. And, and a lot of this stuff, it's going to change the pain you are in. Yeah. So what are the, uh, some of the specific questions you get? Yeah. So, okay. I, I pretty much, I, I got uh, five questions. Um, uh, one of them was just lifts, okay. lifts that pertain specifically to jujitsu, which we kind of covered a little bit. Uh, is there anything you would like to just, even if it's just a bullet point, something they can go out and look into themselves, what would be something? I, I would say chances are you, you folks are going to need a lot of, you know, balancing out, bending the spine laterally, left to right. And you're going to need a lot of, lot of work rotating the spine, evening it up left to right. And, uh, and possibly doing step ups to the side and side lunges will help a lot with balancing out the hips and the legs and the lower back, all that movement. Um, but learning to do you know, like a twisting press, standing there with a weight in your hand and pressing and twisting it 
around so that the weight is over the other heel. So mm. you're going to twist and put the weight up and behind you. You're twisting. You're staying vertical. And you put the weight over the other heel. And try to get the other side, your non-dominant side, to feel as good as your dominant side. And if that means you got to do two or three reps with your non-dominant side to get it on par with your dominant side, do that. Mm. You know, balancing out left to right lateral abilities with the spine, you know, uh, cross leg side bends are great. I've got plenty of videos on that. Some I can put up if you need. Um, and those can help balance out your lower back, your lower lats, because your lats connected to your hip. A lot of people don't realize that, but they actually connect into the crest of the ilium. And uh, those are things that can help if you, you know, the other stuff we could get into, but until you balance out the, the effect of being more right or left dominant with your upper body and your lower body, it's kind of pointless until you balance that all out. But uh, in general, what's going to help with the jujitsu, the grappling, is thinking of some of the extreme ranges you get into and looking for exercises that mimic that. And if you don't find any, make some. Make some right. exercises that mimic those extreme ranges of motion that you get into and learn to get strong coming out of those extreme positions is going to do a lot for your body and a lot for your confidence, you know. And when you, when you take charge, you know, there's no negative to taking charge of a situation. Even if you screw up, who cares? You're taking charge. And that's never a bad, bad headspace to be in, you know. Right. When you're running away in fear because you suck at something, you're screwed. You might as well just pack it in. Yeah. What's, uh, what's another so, question? So have? somebody asked about diet and just, is there, is there anything you recommend for, for strength and what you put in your mouth? That was, that was really just, I don't have it right in front of me, but that was all it was just diet for yeah. strength gains. Buy as local as you can buy, buy meat locally, buy your fruits and vegetables locally or, um, and keep it simple, you know, um, the food we've been eating for thousands of years probably is the best food for us. So the more you can go to food that's as close to earth as you can, the better off you're going to be. That simple. You know, a lot yeah. of protein can help you recover. We know that that's, that's something you can't argue, you know, uh, back when my heavy, heavy training, <laughs> my protein shake was two dozen eggs put in the blender and, uh, some kind of, uh, strawberries or bananas or whatever, maybe a little organic peanut butter and maybe some uh, cocoa powder. And that was it. That was the best protein, protein drink I ever had, you know? Right. And, and then uh, is there anything specific to back, like uh, lower back issues, pain? I know that's such a broad, broad thing, or maybe the stress that is caused on the back in a jujitsu position if you imagine you're kind of hunched if you've ever seen a guard position where somebody's on their back and they're wrapping their legs around somebody and they're getting their legs smashed up into their chest and and that causes a lot of the i think the disc issues that that's one of the biggest issues that people deal with in jujitsu over time back and neck as well but but it was this was specifically about lower back well i, I i'm not sure how much work is done with neck bridges but neck bridges are, are big and i i do a lot of the uh the old-time wrestler move of uh being in a neck bridge and then pulling a bar over and impressing it while i'm in a neck bridge and that mm -hmm. really 
helps develop a lot of neck and back strength. But do you folks already do that in, in jujitsu? I figure you do. Well, no, you know, there's really nothing that everybody does. And I would say that through time, people have done less like general general strength training for the sport or general, these are the martial arts move. Jiu-jitsu is probably unlike traditional martial arts, unlike, you know, when you meet people who have a Kung Fu background, they, uh, or even like a karate background, they have their, their, their movements, they have their like conditioning their own shins. And a lot of that jujitsu is much more yeah, there's some warm ups. Some schools do bridges, some schools do not. And then you do your specific techniques that you're working and you drill them. That's what goes on at the class. Not, a lot of people are not doing these things outside. So I would imagine that less than half of people, even who compete, it's much more common that a wrestler has a history of doing neck bridges than a jujitsu person. Person, I mean, is, is, Embarrassed it is to say, I think it's probably even far less than 50%. Um, I would, I would have to guess. Mm. I mean, I've traveled to a lot of schools. I would have to guess that that less than 20% of people do them regularly. So wow. yeah, neck bridges you could, that you could do those during during commercials or something, you know. And yeah. I mean, it's it's uh yeah. Yeah, I I would definitely recommend that. I mean it's yeah yeah it's going to help you hold that back position and then if you learn to do the pullover and press while in a neck bridge that's going to help you even more you know yeah um, the first guy to bench press 600 pounds pat casey uh though he was a super heavyweight he was doing pullover and press in a neck bridge with 330 pounds 315 pounds for reps as part of his prep for a 600 pound bench because it helped his arch you know right yeah, and, and how many super how many super heavies do you think today are doing that for their bench? Not well, not many, and definitely not enough. Um, and and I meant to say this up top, and and I'll say it at, when, when we close the show, and and just to let people know, not only are these lifts up. I'm sure if you were to send a message to me or James asking, hey, do you have a video of you doing this lift? Uh, you would you would get. More times than not, you would wind up being successful and getting a video of the lift you are asking. So definitely uh, hit James up on, you know, Strongman Archaeology on Instagram is how I'm in contact with him. But, you know, there's we'll, we'll cover all that at the end and I'll put it in the show notes. And I wanted to let you know, too, when I said that, you know, getting ready to wrap it up, I'm literally in no hurry. I like the idea of keeping it under the two hour mark, but I'm not like... So, so don't feel like that's like a pressure of like, oh, I got to yeah. go. Um, the other two questions uh, that I did get multiple people asking about strength training for jujitsu, but the other two questions were not as related, um, but I will ask them. The, the first one was, do you have a favorite fighter? Didn't specify, could he, could be a boxer, could be a general martial artist, could be anybody. Do you have somebody that you like? Well, I, I always liked, of course, Bruce Lee was a big inspiration when I was younger. You know, takes what take what is useful and ditch the rest. You know, mm -hmm. great great idea, great content. Um, I, I love Fedor Emelianenko. Love watching Fedor back in the day. Just 
unreal because he was a multiple time world champion sambo fighter if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. um and so um and i liked uh uh, mirko krokop um louis wienia if i remember correctly um he had a saying that uh what was it uh uh the the arms left left foot left foot Left foot hospital, right foot graveyard, or something to that effect. Yes, um, exactly. And uh, I like the early of any kind of sport where there's no future, no one knew. You're just doing it to get in there and rumble and just just willing to throw your hat in the ring and throw down. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Tank Abbott, you know uh tank abbott was a guy that could what bench press 600 pounds and you know they could call him up the night before a fight because somebody canceled and he'd be like yeah sure i'll come in and i i I don't care that he he would get totally uh messed up and destroyed necessarily but the fact that he would just go yeah (laughs) you know uh kind of like at the last minute with that uh seth petroncelli fight with um with uh Kimbo Slice, yeah. uh, Kevin Ferguson, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'll never forget my best friend. <laughs> my best friend, because they were disrespecting uh, Seth pretty bad. The crowd was, and I'm, I'll never forget my best friend. Uh, who uh, who said, "Man, I hope this fight doesn't last sixty seconds." And like by 14 seconds, ding, 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 it was all yeah. done. Seth had knocked him out. And Seth had been competing in martial arts since he was, what, four years old, six years old, something stupid right. like that. So, you know, I, I got a lot of respect for someone who will just throw down at the last minute that didn't that didn't train for it. That takes a lot of moxie, as we say here in Maine. We have a, we have a soda called moxie that we, that's from Maine mm. and we're known for. But it takes a lot of moxie to, to be able to, you know, like I said, with, with, um, with uh, not just Seth, but also uh, who's the other guy in there? Tank. Tank Abbott. Thank you. Um, for them to just throw down at the last minute, I, I man, that, I got so much respect for that. That you know, win, lose, or draw, they already won. Because how many people will step up and say, "Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow," not having trained for it? You know, that takes so much courage and so much grit, and it tells me you're doing it for the love of it. You're doing it for the love of it. I don't care. It doesn't matter how much they pay you. The fact that you would say yes the night before. And I know I've kind of gotten off topic with going over fighters that I love, but the whole, the whole idea of just throwing down with no preparation because you just love it. Not that you're loving going out trying to hurt someone, but that you just love being in the arena. To me, you know, when people talk about, I'm a Viking, I'm a warrior, I'm a, yeah, yeah, just shut up, okay? You don't say it about yourself. Other people will say it about you if it's true. Right. And to me, anyone that's willing to throw down the night before says, yes, I'll throw down tomorrow morning or tomorrow tomorrow evening, whatever, that that to me is a warrior mentality. You can't, you can't fake that. You can't, mom and dad can't give it to you. You can't win it in a contest. You either have it or you don't. It's that simple. Yes. You know, and I know that's going to upset a lot of people. But it's true. If you're willing to throw down the next day with no preparation, man, that that is, I just have so much respect for that, you know. And, and nobody can take that away from you because who else? Anybody can prepare for something. Yeah, great, good for you. But 
to have something thrown in your face saying, hey, you're going to do this tomorrow? Sure. Why not? I guess. I got nothing yeah. else going on. I'll go do an MMA fight, <laughs> a UFC fight, you know. Uh, though I think Seth's was uh, Strike Force. Yeah, but he might have been a lead XC. Might have been a lead XC. I think G. A lead oh, XC. you're right. Yes, yes, you're you're right. Yes, uh, that, and I think Gina Carano. Uh, I I love Gina because she's doing this fight, and she won, and she couldn't even pronunciate the name of the move she did because it's just, <laughs> but she knew how to do the move. Is it a Gugu Plata? Is that how you say it? Uh, she might have hit something different, but but there is a go-go plata. I, I don't know. Maybe she didn't know. I don't know what she did. I, I'd have to. She was I'd trying to say. say that, but she couldn't even remember the name. And I don't care. Who cares right. about the names? I mean, yeah, you got to care about the names. But I just love the fact that she she just went in and did it. You know, and I, yes. I just had a lot of respect for her and just getting it done. And and uh, I don't know. It's just really cool to see her doing her thing back. And this was a while back as well, many, many years ago. And I was like, man, that's really impressive. You know, just, just, you know, it's funny. Like you can see someone from a sport that you don't do. Like I, I have no use for basketball, none, but I will watch hours worth of Larry Bird and Michael Jordan making everyone else look like little boys because yeah. I don't know anything about basketball and I don't care to, but I know that they know something that no one else knows. <laughs> They right. understand the game in a different way, you know, uh, and they love it. Nobody does that for the money. The money is just a me- it just allows them to keep doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just I'm very drawn to the pattern. That's why I'm drawn to Tom Platt. You know, he no one seems more passionate about his bodybuilding in the magazines than Tom Platt. You know what I mean? He had the passion to go further with his training than what it seemed like other guys were doing. Maybe I'm wrong, but he was crazy the stuff he would do you know and he he was known as the hardest working man in bodybuilding you know they talk about dorian yates and yeah yeah if if you hadn't grown up with tom platts i guess you could see dorian yates as one of the hardest training bodybuilders and no disrespect dorian yates trained hard he won six mr olympias you don't win six mr olympias by not training hard i get it but tom platts if you saw any of his training videos man if you read about some of the workouts he did it doesn't even make sense some of the stuff he could do because he would he would train until he couldn't move the body the move the weight mm-hmm. you know he would have someone assist him with more reps and then he would go into just holds and holding that weight before he finally puts it down i mean he wanted every little last bit out of that effort out of that set you know and that kind of passion how can you ignore it you know, that's what gets me on fire. Obviously, I haven't shut up about it in five minutes, but <laughs> people that have that passion, you know, someone that's passionate enough to throw down the next day, you know, um, I, I've, I've been in situations where someone has said, hey, can you do this? And I'm not even ready for it. And they asked me the night before. Yeah, I'll go do it. I shouldn't do it. It's a bad idea. Right. But I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it to help out. And someone's asked me to help out. It's a friend of mine. I'll go do it. You know, and you not you don't regret it. You know, I don't know. It's, it's rising to the challenge. You never regret rising to that challenge. And if your challenge is fixing your weaknesses, then fix your weaknesses. 
Yeah. Rise to that challenge. I promise you, you're not going to regret it. You're not going to call me up someday or message me someday saying, man, I, I fixed those weaknesses and man, do I regret it. What a waste of my time. That's not going to happen. I guarantee it. You know, so it's just funny because we all get in our own way. You, me, everyone, we all get in our own way. And it's like, man, just do the damn work. It's like this guy I used to work with bartending. He would spend 20 minutes getting out of five minutes of work. And he would try to sneak and get around on you thinking he fooled you. It's like, dude, you just spent 20 minutes getting out of five minutes of work. Just do the damn work. And you, you would have been out of here and going home by now. Yeah. But we all do that. We all like do this song and dance when it's like, there is no song and dance. Just get it done. Just get it done. So if I can encourage anyone, find what you're weak at, find the positions that freak you out in your grappling and fix them. Get them strong. I mean, think about it. Go to bed tonight and just take a few minutes ago. What would happen if I was 10% stronger in that position? Would it be a bad outcome or a great outcome? That's simple. Right. And go do it. You know, you're never going to regret it. You know? Yeah. Even, yeah. even if, even if that, that one of the, the benefits that we can never measure is you could be just this far away from getting injured, but because you did the strength training, you never got injured. So it's not like, yeah, I know on the 23rd, I would have gotten injured, but I did that, that strength training. We don't know. So sometimes we never even know the full payoff of our, of our actions today. But if you put in the work, if we do what we can to prevent the bad outcome, I mean, that's worth it. You're right. worth it. Because I've, I have said for years that, that it's actually a bit of therapy going on. Because if you decide to work out, you're deciding that you're, you are able to improve. And every time you work out, you've made a conscious decision, uh, a subconscious decision that you were worth improving or else you wouldn't bother. So there has to be a bit of self-worth for every workout you do. There has to be some level of you going, I can improve and I am worthy of taking that time and effort to improve. Right. But I, no one talks about that, but I, I believe that's there. I believe that if you didn't think you were worth improving, and that you couldn't improve, you wouldn't work out. But there has to be some bit of you that acknowledges that. And I think mm. we should take a moment every once in a while and appreciate that and say, hey, I really must care about myself. I must really like myself to even think about trying to improve myself. You know, and it, I just don't think enough people do that. And I think if we spend a little more time doing that, we wouldn't have some of the hangups that we have, you know? Yeah, no, that that's a that's a great answer. A lot of a lot of good points there. Um, I agree with the fighting thing. It's like, it's one thing to admire the people who clearly aren't in it just for the money. But it's another to admire the people who aren't in it just to win just to like, like they don't really care if they're going out there injured, out of shape. I mean, if you're going into a fight knowing that you might get tired or you're probably going to get tired, like you're doing it because you just want to fight. It's like literally in their mind, they're like, Hey, I got anything else better to do. Like that is the most admirable thing when it comes down to fighting to me. And in the early days, you got a lot more of that. I do know people that are like that. Um, 
I love it when it comes in jujitsu. It's pretty common in MMA. It really is hard to come by for obvious reasons. I don't blame them, but yeah, I know that that's extremely, extremely admirable. And I agree with the, you know, the, the, the people like the, the Tom Platts who just so obviously love what they do. If they had more energy and more time, and their body didn't get so darn sore and broken down, they would do even more work. They yeah. would do oh, even yeah. more sets. They're not doing it because they have to do it in order to get the results that they want. They're doing less. They're, they're not doing as much as they want to do. And they're still doing more than everybody else. That's how I feel about like the jujitsu, the, the training core group that I train with. It's like, man, not only do we train more and harder than a lot of people that, that we know, it's like we all wish that it was smart and, and possible to do more, 20 times more, 50 times more. Yeah. If you look at like uh, back in the, the mid-60s, mid-late 60s with the NFL, and was it Johnny Unitas? They were talking about, yeah, after a three-hour practice, we'd go to the local park and practice some more for another couple hours. Who the hell does that in the NFL anymore? No. Can you imagine? We had no. a three-hour practice, and now we're going to go to the park and practice for another two hours by ourselves without a coach? Like, that, that – and you can't, you can't buy that kind of dedication. You know, like um, uh, Charles Poliquin, I, I rest in peace. I love Charles Poliquin, and I – I love that he, when he brought up the whole discipline is bullshit and uh, <laughs> it's on a podcast and what, what do you mean? He goes, I got people doing stuff because they love it, that there's no way I could like shame them into doing it or bark at them, bully them. Like they're doing it this extreme because they love it. He goes, they're doing more extreme than I would ever ask them to do because they love it. And you just, that's, that's not discipline. That's love. That's love yeah. with the with the process with the outcome. You have a goal, but it, it's it's not discipline. You know, discipline is doing it and it sucks. And it, well, was it Mike Tyson? Speaking of great fighters, uh, was it Mike Tyson? It's kind of like you know, doing the stuff you hate like you love it. I mean, what a what a great sentiment though. Yeah. Think about all the stuff I hate doing. If I did it like I loved it, oh my goodness! I, geez, the records. My, my PRs, the amount of PRs that I would break would be ridiculous, you know, and I love Mike Tyson and I love Customato. Uh, you ever see that slap fight between Customato and Muhammad Ali? Because it's worth seeing on YouTube, dude. I don't it's think funny. I have. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you think Customato ain't got a chance with Muhammad Ali? Well, just go watch the video and you tell me what you think because Customato, man, he knows this stuff. Love watching mm. him. Um, Speaking of uh, fighting and, and so on, I read uh, The Straight Lead by Terry Tom, and she was trained by um, Jack Wong, who was uh, Bruce Lee's last training partner for the last five years. Uh, the Straight Lead, and if you get a chance to read it, great book, great book on that style of uh, that approach to fighting. Uh, Ted Wong, I'm sorry, I said Jack, it's Ted Wong, sorry. Uh, but Terry Tom, if you get a chance, great, great book, Straight Lead, love it. It's just information can come from anywhere you can't 
man, I, I'll be driving down the road and something will inspire me, just something I'll see that will inspire me with my training. Right. So, you know, it's which I think you can relate to. It's just you take stuff in. You can't shut it off even if you want, you know, which can be good and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. I'm right there with you. We, we definitely... <laughs> We can relate there. Uh, I do have one more. This is funny. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this one up just to make sure yeah, I get yeah. what, what he said. There was one more question and it's ironic because it's a guy that, that knows uh, your content pretty well. Um, a martial arts Uh-oh. friend, but his, Oh, Uh-oh. I did. I might've got one more question in. Um, oh, sure. never. Uh, the, he, it, he was asking if I already recorded. So um, he didn't have it. But let me pull up this though. Now, this is one that you may or may not want to actually answer, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And it would make sense being the psychedelic uh, sure. athlete podcast to go ahead and throw this out. He goes, uh, and, and if you, I'll, I'll tell you his uh, hand, handle just because he, he probably wouldn't mind and it might ring a bell. Did you ever come across or pay mind to the guy uh, Maddox W? I forget his real first name, but. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, good. He, I talk to him all the time. Uh, uh, one of my friends just through the, the Instagram, but um, he said that he probably knows the answer, but ask him if he, if he uh, has any, Drug, does he take any drugs and if he has any crazy trip experiences to report and he said this should be a recurring question on your show so <laughs> you do not have to answer that but if you would like to add specifically of psychedelic insight or experience if there's anything you would like to share even if it's secondhand, whatever anything psychedelic related you would like to share I, uh, I had a fever once and uh, I was in high school and my parents were convinced that I was whacked on something. So this would have been late eighties and I wasn't, I was completely feverish out of my mind, dancing with aliens that were teasing me, getting close. And then the group would dance away from me. And I'm like, no, no, don't leave. My parents were like, what is going on with this boy? You know, and they were totally freaked out. It was quite a fever, um, which is why this whole Rona bullshit is just bullshit. You know? Yeah. Like, you want to talk about being really sick? I can tell you about being really sick. Um, And... uh, yeah, that fever was wild. I, you literally were seeing things that were like, oh, yeah. Massive. Do you oh, remember yeah. what it looked like? Does it remind you of when people talk about seeing similar things on psychedelics? Do you think it was a similar tapped into sort of state of consciousness? I, that, that's, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's I do not uncommon. Watching, I, I watched the scene that. Everyone else in the room, all my friends had done a bunch of acid, and I, I've never done it. And there was a scene in this movie where I guess they nailed it pretty good because all my friends are freaking out, going, "Do you see that man? Do you see what that is? That TV doing that?" Because they were all this. It was pretty funny. So if you ever watch the movie Hardware with uh, Dylan McDermott, and uh, there's a scene. It's basically about um, a killing machine that injects you with this psychedelic. So you trip your balls off as you die. And 
the scene they created, they showed the trip out and all my friends were freaking out because they thought it was real because it was so like their, their psychedelic adventures. Wow. But they were all freaking out. They're all looking at me going, dude, do you see? I go, yeah, I see it. It's, it's not a, you guys are okay. And they're like, oh, it's kind of funny. It's a good thing I was there because they were freaking out, but they were all seeing the same. Like they were like, <sighs> did we all just start tripping at the same time, <sighs> man? What's going on? I, I, I have a story. I, I need to share a quick story on that. And I want to yeah, say yeah. one thing on that. And then I have one final question for you. But so that really reminds me, oh my God, I had a psychedelic experience where I, um, I was on acid and I uh, did a little DMT and I was listening to this Queens of the Stone Age album and I was pulling it up on YouTube and listening to it. And it got to songs that were, it was Queens of the Stone Age. I could make out the words, I could make out the music, but it was not anything I had ever heard before. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, just like you said, this was actually in the movie. I was listening to a bonus version of the album with unreleased tracks in the middle of it. And they were so trippy, man. It was so I was listening to these songs and I'm like, oh my God, I'm creating Queens of the Stone Age songs in my head. And it took me months to ever circle back to realizing that that's what happened. So for the longest time, I was telling people like, no, I'm telling you, dude, I was listening to this. <laughs> and, and that That's was like, awesome. yeah. So uh, that was really man, what a uh, what a heightened. I mean, that must have heightened some stuff because when you're <laughs> when you're sitting there, you know, when you're sitting there and you're expecting A and instead B comes up, or you're expecting right. to go left and it goes right, like this isn't the next song, but I know it's still them. What's going <laughs> on? You know? Yeah, it, I it will, will every, something. Every few years, I will kind of do they say you're either asleep or not and i'm like that's bullshit um but uh every once every few years i will be half awake and there'll be music playing and it's not any kind of music i've ever heard on the radio but there's some kind of music playing and it's it's pretty cool and you it's so funny though the more i try to focus on it the faster it goes away oh yeah so it, it's kind of one of those you just gotta try to be in the moment and just relax and let it do its thing but uh yeah that, that is that is it you you that is like a point that to people who don't know there are spaces of meditation there are spaces of consciously aware during subconscious or other parts of your brain that you're not usually that are not linked to conscious awareness they're not things that store in memories and you can slip into it. And, and I would say that you could slip in to have any experience that anybody could have while they're under the influence of psychedelics, you could have in a borderline sleeping state and other states. But the big difference is a lot of times, once you start becoming aware of it, you kind of make this choice of slipping further into it and totally having no recollection or like losing that part of you that's aware of it or you you become aware of it and it goes away so that's kind of at least for me that's something that i've noticed there are times i'm kind of lying in bed or maybe i'm doing a breath work or i've, I've done uh, deprivation tanks um 
you know, and oh, the other point I wanted that, by the way, I, that was the perfect movie to bring up because I am an extreme film buff and I have never heard of that movie. I would say uh, a psychedelic related movie, though, if people are out there listening to The Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky, if there is a movie for people out there to check out, that one is uh, a big one for me. And um and but I need to check out hardware. That sounds so cool. And I do want to ask you, and this is something that I was fascinated in. Yeah, an album is um, Silver, look up Silver Apples Over the Moon. Who's it by? It's an album. Who, uh, an album, do you know the remember, but it's, Oh, okay. Silver Apples Over the Moon. Apples Over the Moon. Just, just. Okay. Uh, go play with, play with that for a while. Doesn't ring a but, bell, so uh, that's perfect. And if you can find, um, I have a, I have some sixties, um, playboys and, uh, uh, back when, believe it or not, it was really, uh, um, uh, a literary, um, escape. Well, I shouldn't say escape, but it was, they would publish stuff that nobody else would all of the dangerous, crazy, progressive thoughts, a lot of great writing back then believe it or not and uh the reason why i'm bringing it up is because timothy leary who was a big early proponent of lsd and he really got into depth about what you are trying to do with it and it's about enlightenment and getting down to like a molecular level of understanding of being it just really if you get a chance look up timothy leary writing for playboy and see if you can pull up that article because it's really interesting wow. very interesting because i've had a lot of friends that have done lsd but i've never really i think i'm one of those people that i can relinquish some control but some control i can't like right. there are times where i've smoked pot and it's fun but there comes a point where i wish i could just push a button and turn it off it's like i, I don't know if it's because i've i've hit my overload my peak of that but there come times and it's been probably 10 or 15 years since I've smoked anything. So it's not, it's nothing, nothing that's a part of my regular life at all. Uh, but it's something that I've experienced enough and said, well, it's, it's kind of fun when it's fun, but it's not worth it because when it's not fun, it's really not worth, it's not worth it to me, you know? So whereas I've had friends of mine that have been doing it forever and, they seem to almost always have a good time. So it is what it is. Just like some people are better at responding to getting strong in weight training and some are. So I think that's right to that. But so what else were you going to say? Yeah. I, I want to add to that. I have the same relationship with, with weed more recently. I've, I've just kind of like, I've, I need to tell myself that there, when it's bad, I tell myself you shouldn't do this again, that you shouldn't throw yourself to this fire, at least not, you know, when I'm by myself, just hanging around the house, chances are it's just not worth it. And, and I, I did two sober Octobers after the first one, I really cut back. And after this last one, I really haven't got back into it. So I have had a similar revelation with uh, weed specifically, but yeah, um, you, you learn that. And that's a good thing. You, you remember, Hey, when it's bad, it's so bad that it's just not worth it. And it's not, you don't need to put yourself through that. And, and as somebody that I do like to talk about some of the positive things, 
it's important to realize when, when a relationship is unhealthy and being, you know, you got to, I have to remind myself that in the broadest terms of relationships, uh, you need to be aware of, of, of what is worth it and not, I, I want to ask in it. I, I, well, and I'm, if, if I'm ahead. honest, I'm probably more of an adrenaline junkie than anything else. So, right. I have to, I have to really put the kibosh on that because I, I like to do some dangerous stuff. So I have to, I have to be very careful with that. Cause I, I like doing some stuff. So it's like, nah, you don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it's, it's, I, I understand. Cause to me, there's no coming down, you know, like there's no bad reaction to going to do some crazy stuff. So I have to, yeah. And I don't even talk about it much with a lot of people because, Well, it's like they say, if I have to explain, you wouldn't understand, but there's some, there's some crazy positions that I like to put myself into that are pretty dangerous and um, could not turn out well. And it's, um, it's pretty addicting at times. So I have to be careful with that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I can relate to some level for sure. Um, You know, that, that, that definitely. And uh, yeah, you're right. Um, so I could only imagine, but I still can't imagine. But the, the you know, I'm sure for you to say it, I believe you, bud. That's what I'm going to say. As well, much as I, I can just, understand, I, I have a feeling you're, you're very right about whatever you're saying. Well, I don't. It's funny. The people that, people that talk about everything they do, they probably don't. The people that don't talk about everything they do probably do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like eh, and i don't know some stuff you just don't want to talk about because it's like ah people already don't think they already think i'm a little off so they're gonna right. think i'm a lot off you know it's like eh, you know so i'm trying to get better at not being so addicted to the adrenaline but it's it's a lot of fun adrenaline is is a great drug if you're gonna do any kind of drug adrenaline is it's a lot of fun Amen. and if you go out you're gonna go out with a bang i mean you're gonna be doing something fun Yes, uh, I agree there. Um, so I, I want to ask you just, I, I, I'm a little curious and it's something that I respect and it's something that I think obviously gives you great power, great confidence, um, great understanding. You, you referenced your, you know, being a person of, of God um, earlier yeah. and how it gives you some insight and I guess just anything you would like to say about it, maybe if it's something that came to you later in life, if it's something that you've always had in you, if it was like a pivotal switch, uh, something that's grown and, and just a little bit about that, uh, the, the strength through God understanding, um, and anything like that, that kind of the, the, the pillars of what's brought you here. Well, it's, it's, you know, I'm a born again Christian and I was brought up with it, which doesn't mean you automatically are. That just means you're around it more. And, um, but yeah, I accepted uh, Jesus as my savior quite young. Um, I was moved, very much moved to do so when I was eight. Um, and, uh, and uh, it, uh, you know, the Bible talks about how, you know, you're never given more than, than you can handle. In other words, you're not so overwhelmed that you wind up doing stuff you shouldn't do. Like you will always, 
not be pushed beyond the point of being in control of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Right. Like people will say the devil made me do it. Well, that really is you just giving in to the devil, not necessarily you were so tempted that you couldn't have helped it. Uh, I know myself and others that have put ourselves in situations Maybe, maybe something to do with the adrenaline junkie stuff I talked about just a minute ago where nobody made me do it. You know, I could be tempted to do something, but I could always say, well, you know better. You're an adult. Whose fault is it is if something happens? It's your fault, you know? Um, and I, I think to me, it's obvious that whatever made nature and how animals work so well at continuing on that they're still here today you know um, that tells me that whatever created the animals and created the trees and how the oceans work with all the currents and how all the planets work and how it all just works so beautifully and perfectly well then that must have also created me as well you know it's it's kind of obvious it's People will say, well, prove that, it, you know, that God exists. And I, will, I, I would say, well, prove that he doesn't. Give me irrefutable proof that God does not exist, you know. And so that's, that's kind of a, it kind of a cuts both ways. And I don't try to convince people of anything. I think uh, if somebody asks me about it, I'll talk about it. And, and it's done a lot for me. It's not, uh, doesn't make you perfect. It just helps you know that uh, there's, you know, I, if there wasn't a big man upstairs, if there wasn't someone I could pray to and ask for help, which means there are also times that you have to stop and listen to that answer when you've asked for help, which maybe you don't want to hear. But knowing, knowing that there's something bigger to talk to, to deal with, is a lot less stressful and a lot happier life than if, than than to say I'm on my own and I gotta figure this out for myself. I think God has left us a lot of messages, a lot of things in nature. Look how beautifully our bodies work. If it's weak, we can fix it. If that isn't the the mark of a loving creator, then I don't know what is. You know, imagine if we had bodies that were weak and there was nothing you could do. That's just how you're born. But it's not that way. There's no guarantee that life is fair. It happens in nature, so why wouldn't it happen with us? Some of us don't get dealt a good hand. Some of us get cancer and die at a very young age. You know, um, That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. That just means God allows life to happen the way it's gonna happen. You know, And so we can either choose to accept that or not. You know, But um, our needs are met no matter what. If you trust in the Lord, if you have needs, they will always be met. If you trust in him, ask for help, it will be helped. It may not be the help you're thinking of. And that's been a hard one for me because I obviously know what I'm doing. And I don't know why God keeps screwing this up, but it's pissing me off. And then I realize, well, it's probably because he's right and I'm not. And then I realize he's kind of giving me the help I need, not the help I think I, I need, you know? So that's been a, that's been a big help, you know? And I think there's a, there's a lot of, it seems like the more we've moved away from God in our society, the worse off we've got. 
I think we're, we're so afraid now because we have nothing to believe in. We've said, we've said, I don't need to believe in anything. Man is the answer. Mankind, humankind is the answer. Look what that's done for us in the past 40 years, the past 30 years, the past 20 years. You know, people are more selfish than other, selfish than ever. I see it all the time. It's really hard to see how selfish and hateful people are. Like there's no concern for other people. It's such a selfish society we live in. It's very hard to see, you know? And that's um, part of the reason I do what I do is to try to share, to try to show people I love them by trying to help them take care of themselves, you know? I'm hoping that will have some small effect. You know, I'm trying to help people get better, be better, feel better, take care of themselves better. And maybe we'll start taking care of each other better. I don't know. I just feel like that's what God wants me to do right now. And if God tells me to go do something else for a while, then I will go do something else for a while. Because <laughs> I've learned I can't argue and win. I've tried that and it just doesn't work. No matter how much, how smart I think I am, it just doesn't work. But it's been, I don't know. I can't imagine having, not having something to believe in something created me that sent his son Jesus here to die for our sins. I just would not want to imagine what it's like living without that because it gives you the ability to lean on something bigger than you and to learn to trust in something bigger than you and that you're not it. You are not it. You are not the answer. You are responsible for the choices you make, but you're not, you are not the answer to your problem. God is Jesus, you know, and I believe that with, with my entire heart. There's no doubt in my mind. So, but I don't get all car salesmen about it. I only talk about it when people want to talk about it. I'm not there to shove it in somebody's face. Nobody wants that. You know, if, it doesn't matter if it's someone being vegan or if someone being Christian or someone being whatever. You can't shove it in people's faces, you know. But if they're like, hey, you're vegan, what is that like? Now you can talk to them. Because they're interested. They're asking you about it. So I'm not big on being a whole car salesman for Jesus. I'm not I'm not like that. That's great. Love talking about it. But I think if you you just can't force stuff on people, whether it's good training or good religion. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just can't force it on people. Mm. Yeah, I, I know. I think that's uh I, I can relate uh, for what it's worth. I, I, you know, I definitely think that, and I feel like I've experienced, uh, you know, things that are greater than myself. I feel like I'm a part of something that runs through me, that runs through all of us. And we are pieces of yeah. something much bigger. And we're just like an extension of something much greater than ourselves. And as yeah. we understand that we become closer and closer to that and we build that relationship and understand it more deeply. Um, you know, I, I may not have the exact specific beliefs, but I would imagine right. that we've built a relationship to something somewhat similar and have, have, you know, um, been able to be secured and not just something that we kind of believe, or maybe it's something we can't fully conceptualize because you can't, if you could conceptualize it, you would be it. It's greater than what you can conceptualize. And that's the right. hardest 
thing to fully understand is as you're able to conceptualize it, you become yeah. it and you're no longer this. That's how consciousness kind of works, I think, to, yeah. to a degree. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, I feel like I've been very, very fortunate as somebody that needs somewhat of hard proof. I've been fortunate enough to have experiences that feel like a very obvious connection. And I feel like there's a lot of poetry to it and a lot of uh, very grand, hard, to, you know, there's a lot of casualties to the nature of it. There's a lot of balance, good and bad. But I do believe that there is goodness at and love and... Um, and and brightness at the at the the biggest grandest part of it all um fortunately that's that's i i i don't even just have faith in it it's what i really really think and in some ways it's what i know and um so i it was you know cool cool to hear you kind of touch on some of those notes and give insight to some of the strength that you yield you know yeah, it's it's interesting because if you think about uh, in the New Testament, it'll say uh, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," which is funny because we talk about the Tao, uh, the the chi energy as being the way, and so I've always thought that was interesting that that, that um, is very similar, you know. And you think about with the chi healing, using the chi energy to help heal people, and what the what Jesus was doing and what the apostles were doing. To me the same thing healing with chi energy having that enlightenment having that spiritual connection that affects the physical you know because i i believe the reason why we have physical bodies is to help us grow spiritually that that's what our bodies are meant to do you know um so it's, what was that the saying that we're not physical beings we're not spiritual beings have a physical having a physical existence. Is that right? And we're, we're mm. physical beings have a spirit having a spiritual experience. If I remember it right. That that definitely that makes that that at the very least that 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 kind of defines um, the part of us that that begins and ends with us. <laughs> you right. know. Yeah. 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 The, that's the finite part of this thing. It, it, it is yeah. the, the, the physical. So that makes total yeah. sense, even if nobody else said it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, I, think, I think someone said that. Yeah. It was like it was a it was a bumper sticker for a while. I was like, we're not physical beings have a, having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. That's what it is. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. E either yeah. way you see it, you can see the, the point. Um, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, yeah. you could say it either way and you get the juxtaposition and you can take it in many directions. Um, oh, yeah. So I, uh, I just want to let's, let's just say strongman archaeology. I think there's an underscore in it, but it's easy to find right. that on Instagram. Um, I know you have other things. Just say, how can people get in contact with you? How can they find your stuff? I know you're on Vimeo with the most up-to-date current video releases. There's YouTube stuff, but. Um, me, actually, it's MeWe.com. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's MeWe. where you're posting all your videos now. That's where my longer videos go up first before I cut it down and edited it to Instagram. So if you want to see kind of okay. maybe my warm up sets or, or how I got to where I got to, that's on mewe.com. Uh, Facebook 
had some rule changes with the groups and, and pretty much you don't get a say anymore with who joined your groups or not. And I'm like, nah, it's not going to work. I didn't, because I've had that page for nine years now. Um, you know, no one was doing Arthur lifts online. No one was showing, um, uh, yeah, heavy Arthur lifts or, or heavy hack lifts or heavy Jefferson lifts. You know, it just wasn't a thing. And I, I, you know, if you look back far enough, you'll see that the influence came from that page um, from, I think, nine or 10 years ago. I have to look it up. But um, I just said, no, I'm not going to not going to be told you know it's my group i built it so i'm going to go to me we because they respect your privacy they don't sell your information and i don't care if i've only got five members which i think i might have five members actually now instead of the thousands that i had before so that's fine because i i block most of the people that follow my instagram account you know i i block more than half of the accounts that try to follow my instagram account because it'll whatever the name is. And then it will say zero post following 2,409 different channels. And I'm like, there's no way you're just, no, I don't want, right. I don't want writers. Right. I don't want people riding along. I want people actually trying to take it in and, and, and gain something from it. So I block more than I accept. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, or they have one post and they have, they're following 5,387. I'm like, no, you're not. There's no way you're keeping track of all those accounts. There's no way. Get out of here. Right. So I just blocked those accounts because I, I want something a little more. I want people that are trying to do something with their life, you know, and if they're not showing me that, then why bother? Why waste my time? Why waste theirs? So, yeah. Go. I'm sure you'll pick up another one and not even miss me. If you've got over 5,000 accounts, supposedly you're following, which you're not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you, yeah, I would say probably 75% of the accounts I've blocked that have tried to follow. Yeah. So if you're lucky, you'll be able to get through guys is what we're saying. Well, <laughs> well and then on daily motion. So if you want to join me, we.com join the strongman archeology group. I have some questions to answer because I'm just, you got to answer the questions. You know, you got to understand what we're about. I've had people come on and start crapping on what we do. And I'm like, it's called strongman archaeology. What did you think we were going to do? Swap baking recipes? Yeah. No. You know, this is what we do. If you don't like it, what are you doing here? Why'd you sign up? So, uh, and if you go to Daily Motion, Strongman Archaeology on Daily Motion, um, that's also where I put some longer videos first and then load them to MeWe. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff on Daily Motion. I put a lot of stuff on them. I just got tired of the copyright problems with YouTube. I mean, they're hitting me from five or six years ago. I'll get an email about a YouTube video from five or six years ago about a CD playing in the background and getting some kind of copyright claim. And I'm like, come on guys, you know, mm -hmm. it's a bit of a song. It's not even the whole song. It's just a piece of the song. And if you didn't catch it within the first 30 days, I think it should be any, it should be null and void. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I was the band, I'd be like, Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for playing our music. That's great. Get out, get our music out there. You know, that's great. You know, so, but yeah, those are the three main ones. So it's strongman archeology. span I'm even on TikTok, though. I, I don't post much because the comments are just lethal. I just, it's like YouTube comments on steroids. TikTok is ridiculous. Yeah. Have you noticed that TikTok comments are just... It yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not on it. Like, I've I've gone down that a few days worth, and I can just tell. Um, yeah, I I'm happy with what I do. <laughs> I'm yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. No, you, yeah. No, and it's great to see. It's great to see how you're coming along. I mean, you're 
you're trying you're trying the stuff out. You're trying to make it yours, see how it fits and works for you. And that's what more can you do, you know? Right. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it's been an, it's been an honor. I greatly appreciate um, not only you being on this as the first uh, re- release of the podcast, but just being a, a not just a good mentor, not just somebody to help me out, but being a good friend uh, over the past sure. month that we've been talking. And it's been it's been a wonderful addition to my life. And I'm sure we will have a discussion like this again and continue to, uh, you know, I- enjoy enjoy the process, enjoy the learning and, and, you know, just being two like-minded dudes uh, to a degree. And, and, and that, that's something that it's great to have in life. So I really appreciate it. I really, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I like having, I like having someone who listens. I, not a lot of people want to listen because I got information and I, you don't want me to just straight out tell you the answer. I think you want me to kind of nudge you in the right direction because you realize okay, now I got to go figure out how this works for me. You're not looking for a, all right, do three sets of this and five sets of that and so many reps and I'll give you some guidelines, but I don't think you're, you know, you're actually trying to listen. You're actually trying to learn and see how it applies to you. Um, how far is, uh, how far is it? What is it? Nine hours to drive down there? Yeah. And you know, I actually, I actually have friends that uh, just bought a place up in Maine and I think uh, it's going to be a little bit, but I'm going to go, visit them before long, um, help them work on their house. And so okay. I, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I I'll find out. I'll send you the name of the town. Cause I, I had to do a job. I had to do a delivery down in Maryland. Oh, okay. And, uh, nearby to Baltimore. Jeez. And it wasn't, it wasn't as long as I thought it was, was going to be. I think no. it's like a nine, 10 hour drive. And I can easily do that. I used to drive for a living. So that's not a big deal. Yeah. It's something I'd love to make uh, happen uh, before long. I'm sure we'll, we'll make, we'll make that work. I've, I've thought about that. So that'd be, that'd be great to do. And then we'll have to do a live video of us fooling around in the gym folks. Yes. So don't worry. Yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> don't hurt me too bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just enough. Just yeah. enough for you to invite me back so I can do it again. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for the conversation. I'll talk to you you. soon. Uh, everybody check out James's stuff. It it is, you you really, you don't know what you're missing until you're not missing it anymore. So, uh, go, go find it and, and enjoy. Uh, it's the real deal. Awesome. Thank you, man. I'm going to figure out how to turn this podcast off without making sure that I, um, I think I just clicked stop recording and we're good to go. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. All right. Stay tuned for future episodes.